0: Well, hey there, everybody. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am so happy that you're here with me today. This is episode 86, and today we're talking about strategies for surviving simulation lab and skills checkoff. And before we dive into those exciting topics, it's time to do a quick listener shout out to Victoria, who wrote this great review on Apple Podcasts. And Victoria says, "Straighty Nursing has been there through my nursing school journey. I graduate May 2020. I have been listening since it was first released in 2017. I'm in a BSN program and I notice a lot of the material has been more applicable to my advanced med search. I'm so thankful to have this podcast. I'm listening to episodes from the start to study for my final." Mo explains things very well and better than all my instructors. She hits all the important aspects and is concise about it. Thanks, Mo, for creating this podcast to help nursing students. It would be awesome to get some NCLEX prep stuff. This is the best nursing student podcast by far. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. I very much appreciate that kind review. And we've been working on rounding out the library more so that it's not all uh, so much focused on the advanced stuff and really, you know, making sure that we get a lot of the fundamental core concepts really dialed in as well. So I appreciate your feedback very much. And I invite all my listeners to go to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, and review and you might be the next person that I feature on our listener shout out. So again, thank you so much, Victoria. I really appreciate it. You made my day. Okay, guys. So we're going to be talking about skills checkoffs and SimLab. And these are two types of assessments that really get nursing students shaking in their dance goes. Okay. It's just... There's something about being scrutinized so closely in such a high-stakes environment that really is stressful. And I'm not saying that it's not. It definitely is. But with some strategies, I really think you can approach it with a lot more confidence. So that's what we're going to try to dive down into today. So for those of you that are new or maybe you're getting ready to start nursing school or don't know exactly what I'm talking about when I say skills check-off, let me tell you really quickly what that is. A skills check-off is a assessment situation where you go basically one-on-one with a professor, usually. Um, usually it's just one professor, but sometimes maybe more than one. And they basically scrutinize every single move that you make as you work through a key skill or assessment in nursing school. A lot of times, um, there'll be a checklist of things that you absolutely have to do. There are things that are considered um, imminent fails. Uh, If you say you forget to wash your hands, you failed the whole thing, even though you did the rest of it perfectly. So a lot of pressure with a skills checkoff, and a lot of students... Have a lot of anxiety about it. So, we're going to talk through some strategies to make skills checkoffs maybe a little less terrifying. Um, the good news is, a lot of schools will offer you the ability to retake a skills assessment. Um, my advice to students is always don't count on that. I mean, it's there if you need it, but don't go into it without preparing with the mindset that if I fail, I'll just do it again in a few days because your schedule if you don't know this already, is going to be really full in nursing school. And the last thing you want to do is have to do something twice. So we're going to prepare ahead of time. You're going to go into your skills checkoff, ready to do your absolute best and pass on the first try. So I got this email from a student a while back, and that's what prompted me to even address this topic. So I'm going to read to you what the email says. Hi there. I wanted to reach out and let you know that your website is awesome. Why, thank you. I'm currently winding down my first semester of nursing school. I'm nervous because one of the passing components for my fundamentals and assessment class is to do a full assessment on our lab partner as two of our clinical professors evaluate us. We each have a full 30 minutes to perform a head-to-toe assessment. Would you have a guide to the best way to approach this? I don't want to leave anything out, and I want to do the best I can for a first-year student. We will be evaluated uh, in the coming weeks. Any tips or thoughts are welcome. Thank you again for all the care and hard work you offer nursing students. Okay, so before I forget, I want to tell you guys that episode 82 is specific about doing a head-to-toe assessment. So if you're looking for specific information about that skill, I want to invite you to go listen to episode 82. There's also a blog post about it and a downloadable little free Excel spreadsheet that I made with all the components in it with the idea that you can edit it to add or adjust any specifics that your program requires and then use that as a little cheat sheet while you're studying. So um, since this person wrote in asking about their head-to-toe assessment, I wanted to make sure that you guys know that I do have a podcast and a downloadable little cheat sheet for you on that. And again, that is episode 82. And you can get the download by going to straightanursingstudent.com forward slash Podcast 82, and it'll be there for you. Okay, so in response to our friend that wrote in and asked this question, um, definitely skills checkoffs are, you know. Serious. You have to study for them just as you would any exam. It's not something you can just wing or sail through. Um, You really have to be exact and you have to have very high standards for yourself. So let's break down a way to approach a skills checkoff so that you do your absolute very best. So skills checkoff tip number one is to make valuable use of your skills lab time. So Skills Lab is one of those situations where you're in a uh, hands-on practice situation and You know, it's not like you're sitting in a lecture where the professor's at the front of the room and you're paying attention and taking notes or whatever. There could be some temptation in your skills lab as you're practicing things to goof around with your classmates, maybe check out mentally, maybe even skip out altogether, though you wouldn't do that, right? Um, The skills lab itself is provided for a reason, and it's to give you guys very valuable time to practice hands-on skills with the actual equipment, using Mannequins using the things that you would use on a patient in the clinical setting. So if you're more of that sit back and let everyone else jump in and practice kind of person, you'll um, you'll need to shift your thinking and your attitude from being more of that stand on the sidelines person to being somebody that jumps in there and gets your hands into the activity. So if you're practicing on a uh, lab partner. Don't just talk through the steps. I want you to actually do the steps. If you're practicing with a mannequin, talk to the mannequin like it's a person, even if it's just an arm and you're putting in an IV. Talk through the steps. Do it as real as you can, even though you're doing it in a simulated environment, okay? Um, If your school offers open lab times, you want to get in there and practice when you have free time, go in with a friend or two and practice your skills. Getting hands on practice in the skills lab is the most important thing you can do for preparing for your skills checkoff. So again, when you go to your skills lab, I want you to be attentive Don't just relax and check out. I want you to be attentive, pay attention, and then get in there. Even if you're shy, you're just going to have to pretend you're not shy. Get in there and practice. Get your hands on the equipment, touching it, moving it, manipulating it, all of it. You have to actually touch the equipment and absolutely practice. If you have a friend and you're practicing um, an assessment, say a neuro, neuro check with your friend, don't just say, then I would check the cranial nerves. I want you to actually check your friend's cranial nerves. Okay. Do the activity. Don't just talk through the activity. And then if there's open lab times, Get in there and practice as much as you can, Okay, So that's skills check-off tip number one. You've really got to make valuable use of that very precious skills lab time. Okay, skills check-off survival tip number two is to utilize multiple resources for learning. So because skills lab time is very rare, and in some cases, um, maybe you can't get into an open lab you are going to use multiple resources for learning. So if you've got your fundamentals textbook or your assessment book, it's going to have most likely very detailed step-by-step instructions on how to go about doing a particular skill. I've got a great book, The Lippincott Manual of Nursing Practice. Love that book because it takes you step-by-step-by-step through everything you could think of that a nurse could do. So I want you to use those resources as a way to study for your skills checkoff, okay? And as you read, I want you to picture yourself actually doing the steps. I want you to say the words that you would say to a patient as you are doing this particular skill. Envision in your mind how the patient is responding to the things that you're doing, And then I want you to go online and look for videos that show that skill in action. So when I was learning how to place um, Foley catheters, urethral catheters, there's a lot of steps involved in that. And I went to skills lab and I practiced in skills lab and then I read my book, my fundamentals book, the step by step by step. And then I watched videos of nurses going through all the different steps. And then I had brought home a spare Foley catheter kit, and I set up a little Foley station on my dining room table with a wine bottle being the patient, and I practiced doing the skills with my hands. So I practiced and I used multiple resources for learning to do that as well. And the other thing to be aware of is that it might not just be steps that you need to know in order to get through your skills checkoff. There may also be some foundation knowledge that your professors are going to ask you about in your skills checkoff. For instance, in our skills checkoff for medication administration, when we were doing the injections, it wasn't just knowing the steps and the landmarks for the injections. It was what size needle for this amount of medication, or you're giving this med, how would you give it? And so you had to know all the different needle sizes and gauges and lengths and how many mills you could put in each one and in what body part you can inject it. So there was a lot of background knowledge that had to be known as well. So if there is information like that, make sure you really know it because you're going to probably be quizzed on that in the moment during your checkoff. And if you're flustered, then it's going to throw you off completely. Okay, so checkoff tip number three is to practice, practice, practice. So you're going to practice in the skills lab, and then you're going to practice on your own. Remember a moment ago, I said I brought home an extra Foley kit and a wine bottle, and I practiced at home. So if you've got something like, let's say you're doing your head-to-toe assessment skills check-off in a few days, I want you to not just read about it, not just watch videos about it, but I want you to actually do as many head-to-toe assessments on volunteers as you possibly can, your friend, your mom, your dog, your neighbor, your lab partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your kids, whoever. You're going to do head-to-toe full assessments on them and not just saying, like I mentioned earlier, you're not just going to talk through, then I would listen to your lungs, then I would look at your belly, then I would look for edema. No, you're going to actually do those things. Get your stethoscope, listen to the lungs um, at all the different auscultation locations, actually feel and palpate their pulses. Check the pulse on a 20 year old male, and then check the pulse on your 85 year old grandma and see how different and how much maybe harder it is to find your pulse on your little grandma than it is on the young uh, 20-year-old male with a really strong, healthy pulse. So Find different people of different body shapes, body sizes, ages, compositions, the more variety that you can see and practice with, the better nurse you will be and the more confident you'll be in your skills checkoff. So I want you to go through the steps, actually doing them over and over again on all these volunteers. Do it with an observer. As I talk about, I believe in the head to toe assessment, uh, episode 82, have an observer there who has the checklist and can tell you if you missed something or can prompt you if you're stumbling. So having that extra help can go a long way towards getting you to the skill level you need to be at to pass your assessment. And let's say you're really, really, really nervous about it. So this gets me to check off tip number four. And this is what I did when I did my very first few skills checkoffs was I wrote out an actual script. So when I first started doing them, I think the first one we had was a very simple, very basic, but I was scared to death. It was temperature, pulse, and respirations. We had to be checked off on our ability to take a temperature get an accurate radial pulse and count respirations. So I wrote out a script as though I was actually performing in a play on how to check someone's temperature pulse and respiration. So I included absolutely everything on my script from greeting the patient to all the actions that I would do as I was working through the assessment. I don't think it was overkill. Some people might think that it was, but the idea of performing the skill assessment in an environment that I wasn't used to yet. This was my very first skills checkoff. And it just made me so nervous that having that script and practicing it out over and over again, really just calmed my nerves and made me feel a lot more confident. And I'll tell you what, going into a skills checkoff and talking to, a mannequin, or your lab partner as though they're a patient is kind of awkward and strange. But that's what's expected of you. So actually doing this uh, script and running through it with my friend Tyrone just made the awkwardness of that be a lot less so so that it didn't throw me off when I was actually in there getting my, uh, my skills assessment done. So those are four tips for doing well in your skills check off. So to recap, you're going to really get in there with your skills lab and make use of that time. You're going to utilize multiple resources for learning. We're talking about your skills lab, your textbook, your videos, my podcast, whatever it is, get it from multiple places so that you activate different parts of your brain. You're going to practice practice and then practice some more. And then if you're really nervous and really unsure of yourself or really just want to be 100% sure that you nail it, you're going to write out a script and practice and rehearse off of that. Okay, so now let's move on to something that's probably even more terrifying for nursing students, and that is simulation lab and how we're going to thrive in that high stress environment. I will have to say that I don't think there's anything that quite produces anxiety and dread in the way that SimLab does. And I don't want to disparage SimLab at all. I think it's a great learning tool. It's just unfortunate that so many students go into it with so much stress that I think a lot of times it's more of a stress tool than a learning tool. So, with these um, strategies under your belt, I'm hoping that you go into it with your learning cap on and less stress involved. So I know nursing school exams are really stressful. um, But SimLab is a little bit different in that um, it's happening in real time. And it's usually happening in real time in front of your peers. So the fear of looking like an idiot, looking like you don't know what you're doing, the fear of doing the wrong thing, the fear of quote, killing your simulated patient or looking like a fool in front of your professor are all very, very valid fears. But with a little advanced preparation and the right attitude, you can turn this scary, maybe dreaded experience into a valuable learning opportunity that really will teach you an awful lot. So First, let's talk about what SimLab is if you're not sure. SimLab or Simulation Lab is really hot in nursing school education right now, and for good reason. So, in SimLab, you have basically a fake patient who, depending on the level of the simulation, there's low fidelity simulations all the way up to high fidelity simulations. And with those high fidelity simulations, your fake patient will talk, breathe, have a pulse. Sometimes they can even sweat, they'll have breath sounds, bowel sounds, heart sounds, their pupils may be reactive, pretty much everything that you could expect from a, you know, from a real patient, depending on how, again, how advanced your simulation lab is. Even low fidelity simulation is still incredibly valuable teaching. So even if your school doesn't have all the bells and whistles of a fake patient that can talk to you, you're still going to get a lot of good learning from simulation lab. A lot of times the patients will have veins that you can put an IV into. They have a urethra that you can put a catheter into. You can even intubate your patient, decompress stomachs, uh, do all those things that you would do as your interventions with the real patient, except they don't... um, they don't ask you for lots of jello and pudding. <laughs> okay, so um, in nursing school sim lab, what's actually going to happen is you will have a problem. Your patient will have some kind of a problem, and you, the nurse, sometimes not often by yourself, it depends on the level of fidelity, most often in a small group, you guys will figure out what the problem is and how you're going to intervene. Remember, I say this all the time. What do nurses do? They see problems and they fix them, right? So that's what you're doing in simulation lab. You will have all the equipment. You will have all the meds. You will have all the supplies available that you need to keep your patient alive. A lot of times, if it's high fidelity, there'll be telemetry monitors, blood pressure measurements, oxygen saturation levels, oxygen fluids, everything that you could possibly need. It's like having the best stocked hospital in the world. Usually you're grouped, again, with fellow students and... What happens is you'll walk into the scenario and the patient will start to deteriorate right in front of you. So that's pretty much how Sim Lab goes. And now let's talk about how we're going to survive it because it sounds pretty scary, huh? It also is really fun if you can approach it from the right way. So the first thing that I want you to do when you're going into your Sim Lab scenario is to... Relax. I know it sounds so basic and so easy. But you'd be surprised at how tense students get when they go into SimLab. So, most schools use SimLab as a learning and practice environment, not as an assessment environment. Assessments are usually reserved for those checkoff scenarios that we talked about earlier. SimLab is typically a learning and practice environment. So, it's not like you're going to fail out of nursing school because of what happens in SimLab. The idea is for you to fail in SimLab. So that you don't fail a real patient in clinical. So it's okay to do the wrong thing because you're going to learn a ton if you do. So I want you to take a deep breath and relax and let go of this fear of failure. Because even if you fail, and when I say fail, I mean you don't intervene properly for your patient or in a timely enough manner to save your patient, you're going to learn what to do for next time. And if you see a patient in clinical who has one of these situations, hopefully you know what to do. So take a deep breath, relax. So you might be thinking, well, what do I do? What do I do in sim lab? So basically, you're going to be grouped with other students, typically, usually it's groups of four, I I think groups of three would be optimal. That's just my opinion. But because of, you know, the amount of time involved with SIM, you may be grouped with more people. And then... um, Working together as a group, you figure out what you're going to do to save your simulated patient's life. So if there's more than three students, you know, if there's four of you, it's okay-ish. But if there's five or six of you, it can be a little bit chaotic. And so clear communication is going to be really key when you're working in your sim labs. So as you are going into your simulation, what will typically happen is your patient will say something like, I don't feel well or something to let, you know, to kind of clue you in that the simulation is starting and that there's something wrong with your patient. And then essentially you run through the scenario. You decide what assessments to do, what interventions to do, um, what you might need to call the doctor about. You are operating as though you are the nurse And this patient's care is under your domain. So one little trick that's going to make SimLab seem a lot less stressful to you, because if your big question in your mind is, I don't know what to do, I want you to think through the nursing process. So you guys have learned the nursing process. You remember that acronym that you learned for semester, assess diagnose plan intervene etc add pie right you're going to use the nursing process to decide what to do so to begin like i said your patient's going to give you some clue that there's something wrong. Either their vital signs on the monitor will be really askew, or they'll actually say something like, I can't breathe very well, or I don't feel well, or my stomach hurts, or I have a headache, or whatever it is. They're going to clue you in that there's something going on. And what's the very first step in the nursing process? It's always assessment. So the very first thing to do In your sim lab is to assess the patient because that's what you would do as a nurse working with a real patient. If no one else steps up to the plate to kind of lead the way through the simulation, then guess who's doing it? You're doing it. So if your friends are standing there with deer in their headlights, looks on their sweet little faces, you're going to be their champion and take charge and say, Let's get an assessment on this patient. And you can easily delegate the assessment as well. You could um, tell your friend to listen to um, his lung sounds, have the other one get a set of vitals, you know, delegate things, get an assessment, and then get the information from your team. Next What is the next step in the nursing process? So you've gotten your data from your patient, and now you're like, shoot, here I am in sim. My professor's over there. They're looking at me like they expect me to do something, but I don't know what to do. Well, what's the next step in the nursing process? After assessment, it's you're going to diagnose the patient's problem using a nursing diagnosis. So it's not like you're going to say out loud, my patient has risk for impaired gas exchange related to his inability to clear his airway or whatever. You're not going to say it, but you're going to be thinking it. You're going to be talking about what you think is wrong with the patient with your friends. And this is where... You might discuss with your friends the problems that you think your patient could be having. Um, did you listen to his lung sounds and they were very wet? Um, did you learn through your assessment through the chart that he got three liters of fluid an hour ago? Well, maybe he has fluid overload. So you're going to be talking through like what you think the problems with the patient are. If your friend was listening to his lung sounds and only heard lung sounds on one side, and his oxygen saturation level is seventy two percent on ten liters of oxygen, you might be concerned that he has a pneumothorax. So you're going to be talking through what you think the patient's problems might be. And then the next step in the nursing process is your plan. You're going to come up with your plan and then implement your plan. So in nursing school, in the nursing process, technically, these are two separate steps in that ADPI acronym, Right. I will say in the real world, you're kind of doing those things simultaneously. You're thinking up your plan and implementing it as you go along. So um, in the case of our patient whose oxygen saturation level has dropped and you don't hear lung sounds on one side and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I think he might have a pneumo, then, you know, your plan is going to be he needs oxygen, so... As you're thinking he needs oxygen, you're grabbing the oxygen. Do see what I mean? It kind of happens simultaneously in the real world. Um, you know, one of the things that you may need to be doing is calling the doc and you will be calling doctors in your simulation lab. And when you call a physician in your simulation lab, you're going to use your S-bar format, which is your situation, your background, your assessment, and your recommendation. And then you're going to um, be doing all the other nursing interventions that you need to do to keep your patient from totally deteriorating. Um, As you do things, the vital signs will change. So let's say you um, put oxygen on a patient whose levels were lowering. Ideally, those oxygen levels will come back up. You will be giving Lasix maybe to patients whose lungs sound like they're fluid overloaded. Well, then you need to do your reassessment, which is that last step in the nursing process, right? You evaluate the effectiveness of your intervention. So make sure you do that in SimLab. If you do an intervention, you need to go back and evaluate and see if it worked. So if you follow through the nursing process, In your sim lab situation, you always, always know what to do next. So you'll never have that feeling like you don't know what to do. And if you're not sure what to have as your interventions, assess more, get more data. You can't go wrong with assessing your patient. Of course, you run the risk of never really figuring out what's going on with the patient, and that's okay. You're learning. You'll catch on the more you see patients in clinical, the more simulations you go to, and you'll start to develop that clinical judgment that just takes time. It just takes time and exposure to situations in order for you to build on your clinical knowledge and your ability to make good clinical decisions. So, Let's say you don't catch on to what is happening with your patient, and trust me, it happens to all of us, happened to me many times, Um, and that's okay because I learned from it, but let's say you don't and your patient codes, well, then you're just simply going to follow your BLS, um, checking for a pulse, starting compressions, doing all of those things that you would do in the real world. So going into SimLab with the idea of using the nursing process to guide you really does help you to understand what to do next. So as you're going through the simulation, keep an eye out for anything that's acutely changing or really abnormal. I remember one simulation that I did when I was in my new grad residency program, and it was a simulation for a patient. I don't remember what, I think they were a sepsis patient. I don't remember what it was, but they were getting an antibiotic. And then all of a sudden, the patient's heart rate went sky high, and... Their blood pressure tanked and it caught us all by surprise because we were going through this whole sepsis scenario and now there's something else that has happened and we just were just blindsided by it and nobody really did the right thing, which was to stop the antibiotic because the patient was having an allergic reaction, an anaphylactic allergic reaction to the antibiotic. So I'll never forget that simulation scenario. And guess what? We did not save the patient. The patient died, the simulated patient died. But I learned a huge lesson from that to Watch your patients when you're giving antibiotics, especially if it's an antibiotic the patient has never had before, and monitor for any signs of an adverse reaction. So you wouldn't want to just hang it up and then walk away. You'd want to kind of hang out for a little bit and make sure everything's okay before you went on about your day. So that was a huge lesson that I learned from simulation right there. And the other lesson I learned was that it's okay to not do everything perfect in simulation because, again, it's a practice and learning environment. So thank you for spending your very precious free time with me today. I hope that those tips help you approach both your skills, checkoffs, and your simulation labs with a lot less stress and that you enjoy them for the awesome learning opportunities that they are. So that does it for us this week. Next week, we'll be talking about the five common causes of post-operative fevers. So check back in with me next week. Same time, same place. Have a great week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.